What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Napa native Tom Gamble is a farmer first Tom's boyhood days often began before sunrise, herding cattle, working irrigation lines, and emulating older ranchers and farmers from the back of the pack. Tom is the owner of Gamble Family Vineyards and is today's guest on What Got You There. Tom purchased his first vineyard in 1981. He is the first member of his family to make wine, but hopes that he is not the last to work the land. Gamble Family Vineyards is his legacy for the future, inspired by the hard work of generations past. Tom and Sean discuss what it takes to own a great vineyard and sustain its excellence over time. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Tom, thank you for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's sunny in Dallas. There you go. You can't beat that. A little sunshine never hurts. I mean, so what I want to start off with is... I'm very familiar with the legendary status of your vineyard, but for those of the people listening who might not know much about Gamble Family Vineyards, you want to give a little brief background on the vineyard? The various, uh, we started farming in 1916. That's when my grandfather arrived in Napa Valley. And uh, so there was farming everything other than grapes at at the time with the uh, prohibition on the horizon. So that didn't seem like a good <laughs> enterprise. Might not be the way to a go. A good enterprise <laughs> for a young man. And so he, uh, but he was a very uh, persistent fellow. And uh, uh, through the early and middle part of the last century, he was uh, a great agricultural entrepreneur, at least in my eyes, and I think in my dad's and my uncle's eyes, as he farmed not only in Napa Valley, but other counties as well but his his love ultimately was was napa i believe and um he had ranching in the berryessa valley and the uh which is uh, the eastern part of napa which is now uh lake uh berryessa we still have uh cattle up there and uh the farmland uh in oakville which now does not grow uh, replacement heifers or hay crops or walnuts or pears or many other crops that he may have grown. Uh, Whatever paid, that's what he would grow, but it's now entirely in vineyard. Um, When he passed away in the early 70s, we did not have any vines except for two acres 
of uh, Petit Sarah over by his house that were planted during uh, the World War II era. And uh, so uh, that was our initial uh, journey. Um, he was a great uh, agricultural entrepreneur, but he he didn't do anything about estate planning. And uh, uh, so it was my dad and my uncle's uh, dedication uh, to to keep uh, the the most important lands in the family, uh, including the Oakville properties. That meant, in part, uh, giving up active farming on on the Oakville part and uh, leasing it to Behringer. And it's been a happy relationship for uh, since the early '70s, and it's still going and going strong. Um, I inherited the recessive gene trait and stayed in agriculture after a stint at Davis. So that's a, a little bit of, of the backstory uh, of how we got to uh, where uh, we are now and um, how I, I I came around to getting into farming. And I grew up on the Oakville property and the Berryessa properties. And I love dirt from and just helping my dad and seeing uh, seeing the the dedication and, and the trials and tribulations that they had uh, in to, to to keep this legacy, and uh, it's uh, there, there's a reasoned approach uh, for doing what they've done, and it's also an act of passion. Uh, there's something about uh, the land that seems to my family seems to love generation after generation. I mean, you mentioned your father, George, and the trials and tribulations mm-hmm. and his work ethic. Is there any specific moments that you remember in childhood seeing him do something that just really stuck with you? Oh, yeah, on a daily basis. I mean, uh, as, depending on what the day was going to entail, you could hear his bootsteps going down the hall as early as 2 in the morning. It was more like 4 or 5. And... uh and I, I was like his favorite dog or something. I was like a dog who wanted to go outside in the morning. Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? No, you have school. No, you have school. Or uh, you're too young. But then uh, I got a little older and I could go. I was and on the weekends I, when I was super little, I could I, I just trailed him around. In fact, he tells the story and I don't even remember this. Tells the story how I. He loved having me, but I'd get in underfoot trying to help work, quote unquote, as as a kid would. He literally tied me to a tree a few times <laughs> so he could get his work done. You know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, you want the neighbors these days seeing yeah. that sort of parental <laughs> discipline. Yeah, and, you might have a and, few people showing up on the doorstep with that. But yeah, and so we you get older though, and and I was I was so little when I started herding cattle, I I had to be helped on to the horse because I couldn't, or I'd have to climb on the fence and jump on the horse, et cetera. And uh, so we started at a very early age, and we learned to drive tractors and move irrigation pipe and all of all of that. And at the same time, I can remember sitting under he had this. Uh, uh, a version of a partner's desk, uh, old fashioned partner's desk where they partners would sit across from each other. So there's a well under the desk uh, for the legs. And I'd sit under there while he was talking to his brother who ran the business. And I have no idea what they were saying, but I just absorbed the tone and the, uh, and, and, and just sitting down and working through, uh, uh, uh the, uh, not the day-to-day operational, but kind of the more strategic and and paperwork side of the business. 
I mean, so it sounds like there was never a doubt in your mind that you were going to be somehow involved in farming. Is that correct? There was never a doubt. I, yeah. I, I definitely had some itches to scratch after college, and um, and but I always knew it was going to be part of my life. And um, I uh, and even during college, we I purchased uh, as as I turned eighteen and. Some other friends uh, had come of age, and we got just enough small inheritance to get ourselves into big trouble. And uh, and because uh, in those days you could still buy Russian River land that was unplanted, the vineyard for under a thousand dollars an acre. And so that's what we did. And we there was an abandoned hops field uh, down on the Russian River that uh, we purchased, and. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday classes, thus the six-year plan. Well, plus uh, <laughs> some pretty bad grades and some statistics and organic chemistry classes. But the uh, but we learned as much by uh, that business as we did. Uh, oh, there were invaluable lessons at school too. But so we're <laughs> so we're all the co-ed activities, which may have <laughs> added to my GPA failures, but. The the uh, so we got it planted and but we also managed to have a variable interest rate loan and this is 1980 and Mr. Walker decides to uh, came inflation uh, that was a scathing experience and uh, we got through it we got through it um, and uh, so um, the uh, we we got through it and, and figured out how to go from single digit to uh, double digit interest rates with. Uh, no, uh, uh, with no income coming off the property yet. So let's just say, uh, the, uh, 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 gamble ends in a vow, but it's not soprano. So the, the family loans weren't, weren't quite as onerous, but, but they did have to get paid back. Oh man. I mean, I, I love the, the trials and tribulations during that time. So this was in 1981, correct? When you guys purchased that? Yes, it was. Uh, it was either an eighty or I think it was eighty-one, though, that they started ratcheting up the the rates. I could have my years off by a day. I mean, a so year. you're about twenty at the time. What is the actual plan yeah. when you purchase this? Oh, the plan was to uh, plant it to uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and we we got a contract right away from Piper Sonoma, which was. Uh, uh, in a, growing and had a great future ahead of us, and so they needed supply. And the idea of planting, um, there, there wasn't a lot of single vineyard Pinot Noir in, in, in those days. So the idea of planting or early ripening or something to be picked early um, would allow us to get uh, the fruit off either at, uh, before school or uh, the beginning of, or just after the beginning of the fall term. So that was kind of the plan. And that's pretty much how it worked. And, uh, but the other reason was cheap is it was right by the Russian River, so it was one of the first vineyards to flood, and so that caused some problems. But uh, you know, we had strong backs back then. <laughs> I'm, so, sure. I'm, so I'm sure we you did. clean the river debris out every year. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you mentioned your grandfather and then your father kind of doing whatever it took with farming, and whether it was walnuts or peaches. What really drew you to wine? Um, oh, simple enough economics at first. Gotcha. Uh, it was w what Napa was going to be. And I think we all knew that in the 60s. It, it was just almost part of the state planning that uh, we we had to 
uh, not plant vineyards and, 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 and bring on a lease until we got some of the estate planning done. Because if we had added that value, we would have had to pay taxes on it shortly thereafter. So um, that was part of my uh, uncle's thinking and, uh, and, and my dad's. So uh, that's, that's how we, 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 we played the system. And while there seemed to be a certain path going forward, you have to remember that uh, beef cattle were, was the number one commodity until the early 70s in Napa. And it had replaced uh, tree crops, uh, uh, which were dominant. Uh, in the 50s, I, I believe, and dairy was up there until the 60s as well. Uh, small dairies, uh, Silver Oak, which uh, we live next door uh, where our legacy property is, was a dairy. We got to slaughter our 4-H pigs there. Hmm. Um, and so, and now the, I guess that makes good wine, but no, <laughs> there's nothing left of the dairy, and that's cement floor. So, I mean, then why does it take 20 years for you to go on to uh, found Gamble Family Vineyards? Um, farmer first, and uh, um, I have a bad habit, um, but I'm not willing to admit it. So I guess there's still 12 steps to the program. I like to buy land and uh, agricultural land, and um, it, it became increasingly apparent that if you wanted to really get a return on your investment, uh, a real ROI and R and return on capital, you had to start thinking about vertically integrating. Number one. Number two, um, I certainly was fond of wine, and uh, that's probably a much lower consideration than I had at the time. Uh, all these, uh, uh, while well, Colette and I uh, uh, ended up not being able to have children, uh, all these nieces and nephews were popping out. And as they were growing, um, it be became, and there's 11 of them and a step niece. And as they started to grow and, and mature, it became clear that um, not everyone shared my attraction for uh, cool tractors and didn't think that was the coolest thing. <laughs> and and so how do you, one, how do you, uh, this is, the it, it doesn't matter the industry. Um, it, it, how do you attract and, and, and be positively attracting to the next generation so that they don't feel that a, a legacy is a burden? And, um, so one, um, adding wine to that, uh, uh, attempts to, uh, resolve the, uh, the return on, on, on investment and, uh, really the need to have land to be able to support a wine brand and hence another reason with the, with, uh, uh, there's a lot of small uh, virtual wineries out there and the cost of grapes keeps shooting up. So what are they going to do uh, if they don't control their land ultimately? So um, I've tried to blend those two things together and then, um, and then make for a positively attracting uh, experience with the winery because on the wine side, every sort of aptitude can be uh, addressed, whether it's a straightforward business and analytics and, and, and attention for numbers to creativity, not only in wine uh, and making the wine uh, a craft product that sometimes uh, we're able to rise to an art, raise to an art form, but also the, the marketing and uh, that goes along with it and the beauty that's associated with the 
with the physical landscape. Um, uh, the, so, and, and then it's, or if somebody has a pension for cooking where the young, uh, next generation will end up, uh, is still up for grabs. My dad and my uncle never forced us to, um, be part of the business and, and some have gone on to do other things and that's fine. But what they did teach us was to be good owners. So I'm trying to, uh, uh, lead by example, teach folks how to, uh, in the next generation, how to be a good owner. And those who want to operate in one capacity or another, they get plenty of summertime opportunity. And the first ones are, are in college or just getting out of college. And they're having, uh, I guess you could say meaningful internships, uh, versus, uh, uh, clean that tank out or clean the, uh, hospitality, uh, uh wine glasses. <laughs> so, uh, I, and so we're putting together a whole uh, uh, program for uh, Anise who's finishing her uh, uh, first year at uh, St. Andrews in Scotland and uh, who has worked at the winery every summer since at least eighth grade. And uh, so she'll be, uh, she'll be uh, 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 dragging the bag on the streets of San Francisco and elsewhere with uh, our California sales manager and to see that side, uh, she's seen uh, the sexy side of uh, sitting around uh, a fancy uh, but understated uh, tasting room and, and seeing how that works. And uh, she also uh, will be doing a lot of sales analytics and um, that we do a lot of data crunching and uh, with our sales, but uh, there's always more to do. And there's the jury job of actually putting spreadsheets together and, and data entry that sometimes you get behind on. So things like that, she will be occupying her summer with. How are you as a boss? I take it you're pretty tough, huh? Oh God, I just, <laughs> I'm a wimp. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm very much, um, the, uh, this is not the military. I'm not a top down guy. Uh, I, I, and it's not fun. Uh, if, if people have to experience that, I try to be as collaborative and I try to bring up my managers. And so, uh, the non-family managers are uh, very uh, uh, are very dedicated. Jim Close, the winemaker, has made every bottle a gamble and was with me in, in uh, a, a partnership that uh, preceded uh, Gamble. Um, and then, um, and then his wife Susan is has been uh, head of hospitality for. A number of years and has really driven that to um, uh, great heights, which sustains the business right now. That allows us to now add other uh, legs to the economic school stool to uh, uh, spread and diversify. Uh, I guess you could say the sales risk by opening uh, new channels, uh, baby steps internationally, and building uh, a network of uh, states. And, um, so, and, and we've divided our portfolio. Some or what's sold in the wholesale market is only sold in the wholesale market. And what's sold uh, at the winery is only sold at the winery. And there's a few uh, lines of thought as to why we do that. So you mentioned Jim, I would be so curious what it's like the first time you guys bottle the wine with your name on it. Never tried before you uncork it. What is that moment like when you're going to take your first sip? Oh my God. Um, well, one, you're always trying it 
from uh, the time, uh, well, you're trying it while it's still a grape and determining the picking date. And then, uh, especially in the early days, uh, we were, we would agonize over the picking dates. Then we, and we have a very complex and complicated way of doing it because, uh, why not make life harder? Uh, no, it's, it's, we, 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 we do it to make uh, a more complex line wine. You have different uh, flavors at different ripening points. You preserve acidities with early picks. You uh, get a, a spectrum of flavors with multiple harvest dates. Um, and the later dates manage the tannins to be a little softer, et cetera. Anyway, and then uh, you go through and you choose your barrels and you age the wines and then you do the blending. So even on our single bl- vineyards, it's a blend of multiple harvest dates. And uh, that's, that's really fun. Uh, I joke, but it really isn't a joke. It's really kind of true when we sit down and, and do this. And we're to a point now where uh, we're more efficient with it. But the uh, you sit down with a, uh, with some proposed uh, uh, finished wines, and then you taste through them, and you get the graduated cylinders out, and you you play around. and And the rule is, you start early in the morning. You uh, you don't eat much for breakfast and, uh, and no coffee. So you don't, or brush your teeth. So you don't ruin your palate. And then you taste a bunch of wines and until your palate's shot. And then you go over to mustards for a long lunch and talk about the wines. And then you go find a desk to crawl under or a shade tree and, uh, take a nap. <laughs> it sounds like a pretty good day. It's to not me. A, so what is it like? I mean, it's, it's like, it's, 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 at the very end, it's kind of nerve wracking, uh, although it's fun because this is your last shot. This is it. Uh, it, it it's like there's no more fine tuning. And uh, so, uh, you know, jumping around to the Paramount, uh, it, there's a small amount of a Petit Verdot in that Bordeaux style blend to complement the, uh, the large amounts of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc and Merlot that are in the in the wine. And, uh, so, but one percentage, uh, change in the, the, uh, petite Verdot, depending upon the tannin structure of the rest of the grapes, uh, can add a year to the life, uh, or add a year to, to the life of the wine before it's approachable. It will definitely, uh, add to the, the long-term longevity of the wine, but you're always trying to balance near-term uh, approachability with, uh, uh, longevity. So, uh, you're, you're, you're struggling to always find that balance and, uh, it's gotta be great in 10 years, but it's gotta be great when we, uh, release the wine in a year or two. So, um, and, and so we do, we do, uh, uh, stress out a little bit about that, but you finally pull the trigger and you put it in a bottle and then when you finally pull that cork, uh, whenever later, well, you're going to have two rea- reactions. You're going to drink that bottle to celebrate your victory, or you're going to drink that bottle to drown your sorrows. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, but it's it's usually somewhere in between. And and uh, again, it's a craft, and sometimes and and we take it as high as we can. And every once in a while. Um, mother nature shines on you and, and you made all the right decisions and you really do feel like you did something artistic. So, uh, there are very few crash and burns and there's very few highs. And 
uh, uh, super highs anyway. So it almost sounds like a country song or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned bounce and mother's na- right. mother nature's part in all this. How do you mm-hmm. deal with so many variables? Well, um, I don't know. You become uh, a, a bit stoic about it and, and you just do. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was raised a, a good Catholic boy, but I don't go to church, uh, anymore. And maybe I should, maybe that would help. Uh, but, uh, the, the, uh, you, you just watch, you try to anticipate as best you can. Uh, technology is always evolving. Uh, we try to be, uh, as cutting edge as we can afford to be. Uh, we have, uh, I can, if I wasn't on this call, uh, with you from my cell phone, I could go and, and check, uh, what the temperature and the wind and, uh, the dew points are in my vineyard right now, uh, with the weather stations we have that interact, uh, with an app. And then we can collect all that data and we can start to project ripening dates. We can start to, uh, based on past history and, and things like that. So, uh, there is practical knowledge uh, and experience you get by doing anything uh, and you can start to anticipate how your vines are going to react. Um, and then you have the, and then you build upon that tools uh, uh, that technology in the 21st century offers. None of that replaces boots in the uh, vineyard. And that's, that's the best amendment you can give your, your vineyard is eyes on it as much as you uh, possibly can. And it's, it's, uh, we're still like first time parents just hovering over that, (laughs) that kid and that vineyard and probably too much. And we should give the, give the vineyard a little more freedom. I don't know. The, uh, it's, it's just conf- it's just watching your operation and and there are still surprises as to what mother nature can deliver we were not really expecting we were prepared in some ways but uh by adjusting our pruning but we didn't know uh for instance some of our vineyards would be flooded twice in 2017 and early 2017 we didn't know that we were going to have a wildfire um, and uh, the resulting uh, issues uh, that came from that. Uh, so those things are those things are uh, come down to risk management. And uh, I actually do have a risk manager that that helps me wade through insurance policies and make sure I have the right insurances, and that I'm doing the right things as best as possible to mitigate uh, risk so you don't even have to make an insurance claim. And thank God I, I have a risk manager because he's really helping me uh, keep uh, some of uh, some of the claims open as we ne- negotiate uh, uh, the post-fire turbulence. You mentioned technology, and I'd be curious to hear about some of the other major changes you've seen since you got into this uh, business a number of years ago. Is there anything that's just drastically different? Um, the receptance for California wine has only continued to grow. When I'm buying that first vineyard in the early 80s, we're only a few years after uh, the judgment of Paris, which took a steadily improving vineyard or steadily improving wine industry and and and, and put it on jet fuel. And um, 
the the uh, and it, it it's very it's 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 anomalous to see an industry like in Napa Valley uh, and and on the land price side not really see a down year since uh, I think 1976. That's a really long run of either flat prices or up prices. And there may have been a one year down, but hardly at all uh, during the, 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 the Great Recession, but it recovered so quickly um, that uh, if you didn't jump on it, you didn't have much of a chance to do so. So, and I, and really there, there was only time on market weakness, not really a, uh, a reduction in uh, uh, land values uh, to, to speak of. With so many great wines coming out of California, what have you guys done very well that differentiates you? Um, I think that what we do is uh, stay true to our roots uh, and stay true to how we think wine should be made or and how we think wine should be made is what drives us. Uh, our passion because we cannot compete on cost either uh, with our bigger neighbors or the rest of the wine industry. Uh, so we, and there are other people who also know how to craft a very good wine, uh, not surprisingly, but what we have is our story our, and uh, a, a kind of a, a, a low key approach. Uh, we're not trying to be the loudest voice in the room as far as either wine style. Or um, I don't know, or with a with uh, mannequins and and uh, other crazy stuff in a winery. It's uh, and so when you come to the winery, the focus is on the vineyards and on the wine, and uh, that's what we sell. And a very low key, uh, kind of a relaxing approach. Um, and then, and our wine style is uh, balanced, food friendly. Uh, uh, on the lower side of the alcohol uh, spectrum while still delivering uh, fully ripe uh, fruit. And um, uh, I see, especially in the younger crowd, um, almost uh, at different ends of the pendulum, uh, the older crowd, uh, the, 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 the silent generation and the oldest baby boomers, as their palates change, uh, they're evolving to uh, perhaps liking a lighter uh, bodied wine or uh, that's maybe not such rocket fuel and the, and maybe the millennials out of uh, who have a, have great palates and, and each generation since the war, World War II have are ever more sophisticated and the uh, millennial generation is sophisticated on rocket fuel, not only with wine, but with food. And they're always looking for the next adventure. And our style of wine is based kind of on our heritage because I got to grow up uh, and go to my friends' houses and help steal from their family sellers. And um, and we we grew up on wines that were twelve percent alcohol. You couldn't you couldn't get them uh, past uh, uh, couldn't drink them until they were ten years old because of the very high acidities and and tannins, but. Um, that was a result of not having uh, viticulture at the level it is today. Um, and, and the level of viticulture today allowed us to drive forever increasing ripeness. And that's another great change, hearkening back to an earlier question uh, that you had. 
and that is a viticultural technology that's often overlooked. We always talk about winemaking techniques involving, but as wines become more accepted and and more valuable, uh, vineyardists can be paid more by the wineries and, and share the wealth a little more. So when they go and plant, the next time they can plant in an ever more sophisticated way and spend more dollars uh, per acre. And that is a rare phenomenon that's really limited in Napa in California and, and Sonoma uh, as, as well. And I think that the rest of the wine growing areas uh, struggle uh, a little bit with that. Not to say they don't make great wines and work really hard, but um, Napa is definitely, uh, you just have to look at the price of the land and the price of the grapes to see it's in another category. I mean, you continue to mention your father and the family roots and it reminds me earlier in yes. this talk when you mentioned sometimes he'd be up at two in the morning. What's a day look like for you now? I know today you're in Dallas. Uh, is that typical? Um, I'm on the road. Uh, I try to be very, uh, going on the road has to be a very, uh, uh, well-managed thing because there's plenty to do to run the business and work on the business back at home. Um, but as I build my team of uh, uh, sales folks, uh, both in the hospitality side and, and uh, for the winery only wines, and uh, then uh, the FOB side uh, to sell the wines wholesale, um, those two interact very well to plan a uh, full day for me. So a day, uh, like today, uh, can start with, a, a a press interview. I did one in person yesterday morning. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we didn't, weren't able to Skype only because I got a workout in and I was still sweating because <laughs> I slept through my alarm, uh, because we stayed up too late. And, uh, but the, uh, the, uh, so it starts early. Uh, you get up, you do your emails, you do uh, maybe some press, you do your calls. Uh, then often there's a luncheon and, uh, I'll, I'll be leaving this call to drive to, uh, a Fogo de Chao restaurant to meet with, uh, uh, some buyers there. And yesterday it was that one of Richard Chamberlain's, one of the, uh, uh, well-known chefs here in, in Dallas and sat with him and a couple of other journalists and, uh, drank wine and ate a lot of good food and and talked about the wines extensively and a little bit about my story. Then um, then uh, you either hit some accounts and and say hello and thank them for your business. Uh, you're you're answering emails in the back of an Uber and then you get home and you sh or back to the hotel. You shower and uh, you and we did a private dinner for almost forty people in Fort Worth and, and sold some wine. And so that was, that helps pay for the trip. Then, um, you rinse and repeat. And then this weekend there is, and, and the, the impetuous for being in Dallas this week is the Cote de Cour, uh, uh, a very impressive charity wine auction, um, in the heart of Dallas and uh, which raises seven figures every year uh, for the American Heart Association, the local American Heart Association. So uh, good deeds, good food, good wine, new and good friends are what uh, the day is. So you're wrapping business um, and, 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 uh, and, and, 
meeting with buyers, talking with distributors. Uh, so future business, current business, and uh, awareness, and it's and building awareness for the brand. That's what it's like, and it's a great way to do it. Coming to these hardest, like like these charity events, and and meeting new friends because um, uh, it's for a good cause, et cetera. Yeah, no, that sounds like a pretty good day. Just say typical weekday. What what do you like to uncork mm-hmm. at home? Uh, usually, uh, um, what's left over in the winery uh, from the tasting, and uh, the uh, uh, my wife and and and. We always find an excuse to celebrate. So we, um, our, our, our romance, our, our romance was, uh, uh, had a lot of champagne, uh, involved and, uh, and, and I do mean champagne, not California sparkling wine. Uh, but we did, we did have, uh, uh, we did share a bottle of champagne over the weekend, uh, for, I, for, uh, for a private celebration. We'll leave it at that. Um, and, and she's, uh, and, uh, we'll go and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, try to pair something with, uh, also, uh, one of our wines, or we'll go buy a wine that, uh, out of the cellar that will go with whatever is coming out of the vineyard right now, or not the vineyard, but her garden. And which is behind, uh, at our house on the Sauvignon Blanc vineyard. So, uh, earth, earth, uh, root vegetables, asparagus, uh, Leeks um, are coming, and uh, herbs and uh, lemons and limes are coming out of the the garden right now. And she'll she'll fold those into um, uh, a very nice uh, meal that is uh, uh, usually shock the pan or Julia Child's inspired. Hmm. In fact, she's uh, <laughs> in the Bay Area uh, doing a class and book signing with uh, Jacques today. Um, he was uh, going around the country uh, celebrating his book that he wrote with his granddaughter. So another tradition. Uh, so back to our wines, what goes well, Paramount is often one of the reds we'll eat uh, or, or pair with one of our dinners, uh, our Bordeaux style blend, because it is so, uh, uh, so versatile. It, it can go with a, a uh one of the uh uh fattier fish uh, whether it's salmon and and uh which she might incorporate into one of her salads and uh which are are amazing and uh, meals in a bowl i guess you could say <laughs> and um or salad the swans on on uh, a la colette uh, the protein's always changing uh and so to to uh, uh, to whether or she's also an active griller, so we may go to. Uh, I think our our family home is uh, one of our favorite uh, wines at home, um, it, and uh, then uh, our our Gamble Vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. Um, if uh, we're more in the mood for a white, or that's what we have from the winery. So those are typically the three wines we drink the most at home. I mean, you mentioned your romance involved a lot of champagne. Is there one specific bottle that you've opened that was a very memorable moment or bottle for you? Uh, some very old uh, Paul Roger. And uh, I'm trying to uh, remember uh, there were was uh, there was a, a very old uh, bottle of uh, 
from the 1950s. Uh, that was the same era um, as, as the Paul Roger. And um, so those and those were opened uh, when we celebrate celebrated the acquisition of a piece of real estate, uh, the Sauvignon Blanc Vineyard back in 1990. I guess we closed in 1998. And so we found those uh, special bottles. I guess the other two bottles uh, uh, were big fans of, of vintage dated salon and uh, actually poured that at our uh, wedding. We kept the wedding very small so we could spend money <laughs> on good go. wine. <laughs> it's a smart decision there. Do you guys have anything in the cellar you're still saving for one of those memorable moments? Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I, I think we're out of the sparkling. Um, I, I still have a bottle that Jack Davies gave me just before his, uh, his passing. So... Um, I don't know if that uh, one of his uh, Blanc de Blanc, so that would be good. I had, uh, I did do a stint after I sold that uh, first vineyard in uh, Barolo, so I still have a vertical of some of the uh, Viette uh, Barolos from uh, the eighties, and so um, I should I should get around to cracking those. <laughs> it, it sounds uh, like you're gonna have a few memorable nights with those. Yeah, that's. I, I, I think. I think. I'll. I, I think I'll take them up to Meadowood, and 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 it and 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 really have a special evening, uh, maybe with uh, one of the nieces uh, or nephews, um, uh, celebrate a, a, a an academic milestone or something like that. No, I love hearing that. But I, I guess they all also have. It'll be an academic milestone, and they have to be twenty one. <laughs> Yeah, of course, yes. <laughs> we're not we're not feeding them anything yeah. uh, before they're twenty one. Glad you glad you, you cleared can't that see one me up. <laughs> so, what's next for you guys? What's next for Gamble Family Vineyards? Um, that's an interesting question. I was asked yesterday. Uh, right now, it is to um, uh, we have been expanding and growing fairly rapidly, and right now. Um, I think uh, we just continue to execute on the business plan and, and uh, a business plan, as everybody knows, is a great starting point and you have to be flexible. So we have to, we, we, the, but the, the framework uh, is, 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 is viable and we just have to continue executing on it and, um, and, and, and continue to uh, uh, work on the business side, the margin side, the uh, the profitability side, and and I think build the bank. There there will be another recession, and uh, I just don't know when. And uh, as risk management goes, you need to be prepared. And then there will be uh, maybe some other opportunities for me to not go on the real estate twelve step prog program. <laughs> some wise words and, there. <laughs> And we still have lots of replanting we're doing, and so that's a, a focus of capital as as well. And so we will have uh, some exciting new projects coming on our Mount Beater project, uh, the replanting of the Rutherford Vineyard. So, um, but those are kind of all within the bounds of what we've set ourselves out to do over the last few years. So, uh, will there be a new uh, wine product? There could be, but it would be very small. Um, and so, uh, really it's kind of stay the course and, uh, uh, and, and hone the edge. 
certainly a very smart approach. Man, well, Tom, this, this has been a blast for me. It's very fun hearing your story, hearing more about the vineyard and the wines. Uh, but where should the listeners stay connected with you? Oh, uh, GambleFamilyVineyards.com, uh, uh, 707 uh, 944 is uh, if you'd like to come visit. Uh, hit that website or uh, wine at GambleFamilyVineyards.com is an email. And I mentioned that phone number. So Great. I'll have all that linked up in the show notes. Oh, oh, super. And, uh, and if you don't see our, our, uh, our wines in your, uh, fine wine shops, uh, give us a ring and, uh, uh, or have your wine shop or your restaurant, uh, give us a ring and, uh, we'll find out who their distributor is for them. Great. We'll certainly do this. Well, Tom, thanks again for joining us on what got you there. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.